Welcome to Mummy and Daddy, the podcast where we discuss horror movies featuring children. (laughs) Because parenting and impressions can be scary. And kids are definitely creepy. (laughs) I don't like this. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right, babies. The last show of Spooktoberfest is here. Oh my god. And it's... Wow. (laughs) I meant... Here's Johnny! Oh, you're so happy. It's so adorable. The yeah. <laughs> I love how trigger happy you are with the soundboard. Good job. Thank you so much. You thought I'd have a third one there, but I don't. <laughs> oh, good golly. Yes, The Shining, 1980. Another Stephen King adaptation. But oh, is it different? <laughs> Oh, that's different. <laughs> we'll get our ratings out of the way right now. It's different than the book. <laughs> think I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The end. The boiler and topiary are not the main foes. Okay. We'll get there. Here we go. Welcome. 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 To Mummy and Diddy. <laughs> It really is great to be here with you. I'm glad. I don't know why it feels like it's been a minute. I guess because it's always two weeks between episodes, betwixt episodes. <laughs> yes, it does feel like a while. Well, because we took some time in between watching. Usually we try to watch it right away, record right away. We took our time. We did. The Shining, Steve, uh, Stephen King, Stanley Steve Co- King, Steve King, Stan Kubrick. You know, they deserve just little... Jack. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Her listeners just all press stop. That was a, that was, that was a, what was that show called? Will and Grace. It was a Will and Grace impression. Oh, never watched that show. Me neither. Okay. Before we get to The Shining, I want to go to the mail room. Oh, a great place to be. And talk about some listener feedback we've gotten. People didn't think that mail gets delivered to the Overlook Hotel in the off-season, but it do. These are the good listeners out there who... Wow, so (laughs) passive-aggressive. Oh, no, aggressive-aggressive. These are the people that emailed, that commented, that told us in person in some cases, that that are Mm. leaving reviews on the iTunes. Mm. Do people do that? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, they're great. Maybe we'll read some five-star reviews later. Oh, my goodness. Um, that would be great. Well, let's just talk about some feedback. First of all, in our last episode, we asked you via Instagram a question about imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. If anyone or any of their children have imaginary friends. Now, Hillary from Steve King's country, Maine, Mm. wrote into us. What a country. Mm. She wrote into us, her daughter's imaginary friend is called, quote, Black Eye. 
She's a little girl whose family died in a car crash. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, (laughs) I followed up because I had to know more. The school psychologist at her daughter's school had to um, hand out literature on imaginary friends to her teachers just to make sure they knew that they're not a sign of psychological disturbance. Just to address Black Eye. Yes, because apparently her daughter's backstory for Black Eye was so convincing that the psychologist was researching family car crashes in the town history just in case she was an actual ghost. Oh, my God. First of all, check your school psychologist. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I mean, it's a fun thing to do. I get, and it's in Maine. There are a lot of ghosts. There's so many ghosts. There's roaming around out there. But I thought that was great. So, wow. That's an intense imaginary friend story. It really is. Like, the fact that, I mean, right there, that is legitimately a setup for a horror movie. That I know, right? Because it seems like it could be a child with The Shining. Mm-hmm. It could be so someone who's seeing the near future someone who is visited by a ghost someone who is visited by many ghosts an insidious a uh, an insidious <laughs> amount of insidious ghosts um there's so many ways to take that and i love the school psychologists immediately inserting themselves into this did hillary say anything about did the parents request the visit with a school psychologist did it come up in a routine thing i'm so curious i don't know this is this is all i got but um Feel free to write some more about this, uh, Hillary. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Maybe even call in with a voicemail. 818-839-1991. Yeah, call us in and tell us all your secrets. Add it to your favorites. Make us your emergency contact. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic idea. Um, Okay, so another just let's stay in the mailroom here. I haven't been able to get a promotion, so it's where I belong. Oh, no, we're recording from the mailroom at all times. <laughs> uh, I've been given a stern warning by my supervisor. So taking a big step back to episode one, we got a write-in sequel pitch. I like this. From Dan in Pittsburgh, another spooky town. Is Pittsburgh a spooky town? It must be. It has so many bridges. Lots of bridges, and they put french fries in their sandwiches. That adds up to... <laughs> A ghastly amount of human remains. Okay, so Dan writes in, my sequel would be Pet Seminary. Sort of of Sister Act meets Benji, but with possessed undead animals that are fought by the ragtag band of outsider pets enrolled at the Pet Seminary. (laughs) (laughs) They definitely go to the the Westminster Dog Show to perform instead of to Reno. Ooh, nice. I like this a lot, Dan. I know. It's good. (laughs) Well, I hope those agents are listening, those managers, all the people. Yeah, Pittsburgh is the new LA, they say. Yes, they do. They've always said that and always will. (laughs) (laughs) They've been calling it the new LA since 1891. (laughs) It's on the... Welcome to Pittsburgh. That's right. Ever since the Pittsburgh mission was established in 1891. Um, We also had listener Elena... Who left from New York City? New York City, way to go! Uh, Northeastern United States, where you at? Rest of the country, crickets. If you're in New York City, feel free to drop Elena a line, but do not 
leave your dog tied up. She left a link to a great article about why never to leave your dog tethered outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that... They do an Amityville horror. Yeah, that Josh Brolin's daddy does. <laughs> <laughs> the way my daddy did. In <laughs> uh, Amityville horror. And I love that we have the fur mamas and papas. Oh, yes. Which sounds actually just terrible. Or furries, as we'll call them. <laughs> Uh, I love that we have them chiming in because that's what they're looking out for. We'll make sure to tag this episode furries so the rest of you guys can find us. Right. Um, we really do. I think that it often gets said in a dismissive way. Usually dog owners are something like, well, I have a dog. I know it's not a kid, but it's a... I know it's not a kid, but but the thing is... kind of is. My sister and I, Aunt Donna, not to be confused with Aunt Monica slash Aunt Monica, who is going to be our next mail piece of mail in the mail room um aunt donna has a fur baby of her own and we often talk about how similar it is with training a dog and raising a human it's also incredibly yeah. dissimilar but right i mean <laughs> even the article do not leave your baby tethered up outside would get you an investigation if not oh that was did you down. read that article it was in the guardian no, but I do have another Guardian link <laughs> to talk about later. Uh, man, the Guardian, they are everywhere. Wow. Um, Make sure you donate. So while we're talking about aunts and aunts, as everyone knows who's listening to this, our number one fan and resident early childhood expert, Aunt Aunt Monica. You can call her Aunt Monica. It's okay. I like aunt, calling her Aunt Aunt Monica. She wrote in via personal text to me and mm. you. But she, I just thought this was interesting and I wanted to bring it up because I didn't know it didn't like fit into a post or like. Oh, but it's a great piece and I feel like it does yeah. kind of fit in with today. So she let me know how interesting theory of mind research is um, in, in regards to why kids lie so much between the ages of three and six. And basically. We talked about theory of mind a little bit with regards to imaginary friends mm-hmm. in the Amityville episode. Mm-hmm. Kids that age and even infants, um, they're not able to understand that everyone thinks different different thoughts. They think that adults know what they're thinking. Right. That we are all thinking the same things all the time. Yeah. That they know what's – that we can somehow see into their mind. Like that's like what they think. Not so much like read their mind because I feel like that's like an adult way of saying it. But like – that no, we just it's more know- of a hive mind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thing. They think that we are all, if they're hungry, they think we are thinking we're hungry. Oh, I don't know if it's like that. That's the way I'm thinking about well, it. Well, that's probably a little too far. Monica, yeah, on chime Monica, in. please chime in. Help us. Eat one. Eight three nine. You just say my phone number. <laughs> one nine. <laughs> okay. So with that, oh my good golly, Josh. Can you tell me why it's so... Tell me why. It's so intense to watch something that you've seen many, many times. I think it's so intense because it's done so perfectly. And it really is. You said something when, I think really right when the movie started, you said, I'm talking about The Shining now. Um, you said, I always hope it's going to turn out differently. I know. Well, that's with all tragedy. Does. 
all tragedy. I mean, you're watching Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet. You're thinking maybe it works out this time. Amazingly, this isn't a tragedy, right? I was trying to think. It's not. How many? I was I was thinking about exactly that. I mean, it probably was you saying that thing that made me think about. Oh, this is is this our first tragedy? Before remembering, spoiler alert, that they don't die at the end of the movie. The heroes prevail in The Shining. They do. But at the same time, yeah, like, I don't know how many horror movies are actual like true tragedies, like when everybody goes. That's got to be a limited number of things. That's very bleak stuff. But Ugh, um, those are my favorites, though. Listeners, let us know if you think of any, especially ones that pertain to this podcast. That'd be brutal. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> I know. Um, Maybe that's why we don't know any offhand because we've right. been focused so much on this. Yeah, but it, it's. Um, I it, mean, I feel like Texas Chainsaw. Even though, well, see, now I don't want to give. I, I have to imagine that anyone listening to this podcast has seen Texas Chainsaw, but I will say not everybody dies. Not every single person dies. But not everybody lives. And honestly, her life is fucked. Oh, my God. So, you know, yes. is it better to have survived something like that? You know how I always say if we were like trapped somewhere and the only choice was, you know, we had to like eat people or mm-hmm. or like we all decided that you were the one that we had to eat because you're the biggest tallest person that's right with all you know mm-hmm. i'm i'm familiar that i with said i would just kill myself i would just kill myself because i'm like i'm not gonna live through this to be like cool i survived by eating josh <laughs> you know nor would i nor i stand for it <laughs> we, we would have sedated we would have knocked you out <laughs> sedated <laughs> yeah, with words with words and, and whispers and song Amazingly, that hypothetical about cannibalism, while it comes up surprisingly often in our relationship, is actually something <laughs> that no. does it not? Uh, Maybe not as often as, we, as if it, I would love you if you were just an arm. <laughs> <laughs> that one, yeah. I would still love you if you were just an arm. But Sweet. I contend that I would not. <laughs> it's okay. I like your arm. Uh, this also brought up, actually, amazingly, you hit on a clip. That Don't I worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. You saw it on the television. <laughs> this is while they're riding seat beltless. Well, only Danny is riding without a seat belt, just leaned forward through the middle of the two seats in their Volkswagen Beetle, uh, careening through the mountains of Colorado. Uh, yes, and... Wendy brings up the Donner party and then chastises Jack for explaining it. I mean, it really sets the stage. Is this your first time seeing The Shining since having kids? Yeah. I think same. I can't imagine when I would have watched it alone. (laughs) Exactly. And like when we would have had time. But it's one of those movies that, I mean, you could probably say this about any piece of art that you love. Um it really bears repeating at different stages in your life because I really was noticing different things. And obviously we're watching it specifically for this podcast. So I'm tuned into the parenting stuff, but I remember watching it at a midnight screening in Boston and it was the first time I had seen it in the theater and it meant so much to me then because I had seen it before that. It wasn't my first time seeing it, but my first time seeing it in the theater. And then I remember watching it at the cemetery. And that's the one that sticks with me. Yeah, that was like on Halloween or very close. It was a Halloween screening of The Shining at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery outdoors. So on a lawn 
in a cemetery projected onto a wall. And then I remember walking back to the car and walking back. First of all, that was the first time that I really said to myself, that's the greatest horror movie ever made, Mm -hmm. like with great surety on that Mm -hmm. point. And walking back to the car and having to walk over graves. And there really was like a foot of mist, like Mm -hmm. you're in a Vincent Price movie walking out. It was terrifying. It was. That was like early days of the Cinespia screenings, because now you don't walk over the graves. You walk on the on the street. Yeah, on the they, street. But I remember they sent us through. They just kind of walked that way. The yeah, and it was like sinking side. a little bit. Yeah, the ground soft. The hands need room to come up. Um, I, I did notice this to me. Well, I, I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I will just say that moment, there were a few moments like it in this movie that felt as though they were comments that really could only be to the audience. They were not character developing things that were really about parenting and really kind of a kids these days type of sentiment that were like, mm-hmm. you know, but that whole thing, it's like, it's okay. Cause he saw it on TV, mm-hmm. modern families. Am I right guys? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just interesting. I'm not quite sure who it's supposed to serve, but it, uh, I think what the specifically the Donner Party conversation. No, more of his, more of Jack Torrance's comment about oh oh, oh. just like his sort of the button on that conversation, which is it's yeah. okay. You saw it on the television. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of like just to steer it back to just just to make it like oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Okay, I accept that. Um, well, should let's we recap? Do this recap. Oh, recap. From the the fine people at the Internet Movie Database. Well, of course, before you read the one that I selected as our recap, of course, I have to read part of one that I hated. Mm, Yes, please do. This one also from the Internet Movie Database, not uh, to be confused with the database of movies on the Internet. No, it's not just one, a crappy one that I just wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) This comes to us from J.S. Golden. Want to shout out an email address or anything? No, unfortunately. Uh, Signing a contract, Jack Torrance, a normal writer and former teacher. And that's when I stopped reading. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a normal writer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you not even want to finish it? Okay, great. No, I stopped reading it. I was like, this is malarkey. All right, here, this one comes from Matthews. Marchetti. A novelist, Jack Torrance takes a job interview as winter caretaker of the isolated, old, huge, and beautiful Overlook Hotel. In the interview, Jack is told by the manager himself, (laughs) Get me the manager. I don't want to hear a word about this from you. I want to hear it from the manager himself. That the previous caretaker, Grady, chopped his family and later killed himself with a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) months later separate incidences ignoring the story jack brings his wife wendy and his son danny (laughs) the the punctuation is horrendous but (laughs) i like what it's doing to josh this is my my wife wendy and his son danny it happens that danny (laughs) danny it happens that danny has a mysterious power known as the shining that shows him things from the past and future. Some of the visions come from Tony, quote, the little boy who lives in Danny's mouth. (laughs) 
Danny speaks in the third person about himself and Tony. Danny meets Halloran, the hotel cook, in their first day arriving at the Overlook. He's immediately fired. Who else has The Shining? (laughs) Sorry. Danny meets Halloran, the hotel cook, in their first day arriving at the Overlook, who also has this Shining, and he warns him about the hotel and the sinister room 237. He does not do that. As the days go by, Danny has visions of previous guests and employees who died at the hotel years before. Meanwhile, Jack starts driving into insanity, turning more and more aggressive at the point that Danny and Wendy gets convinced that Jack might try to do the same thing, comma, Grady did. <laughs> Grady did. <laughs> That's the best we could do. Uh, it, it was the best we could do, though. What was your hashtag? Grady did. Oh, hashtag Grady did. <laughs> um, this is bonkers. Okay. It's not completely accurate, but it does. Again, if you haven't seen The Shining. Get the uh, fuck out of town, just, man. Yeah. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Call in sick. Watch the movie. It's Halloween. Yep. And the movie's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I I thought it was less perfect than I used to watching it. I did too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. I still enjoyed it quite a bit. It really made me want to reread the book as well, but I don't have time to do that shit. So, um. hmm. I've never reread a book in my entire life. What? But I did read. What? That's right. I don't have time for that shit. You used to. No, I've never. No. There's so many books. It gives me anxiety to think about all the books. That's crazy. Oh, the joy of rereading a book. Which is what? Oh my God, just like I just said, revisiting art at different ages. It's Uh, fantastic. That's true. That is how I felt reading. Maybe I've even talked about this on the podcast, but because I didn't read Stephen King books at 10, like most people did. Oh yeah, when you shot me down for thinking that the topiaries in the book were scary. and Oh yeah, because I read The Shining like four years ago. Yeah, and I read it when I was like 11. So it was horrifying. Not 11, but 13. (laughs) It will mess you up nonetheless. Um, it was all scary. <laughs> it, was all... it is weird to think about, like, because reading those books as a kid, you would just be like, this book is going to be scary. And you're looking out for scary things. For some reason, the only scary book I read, as, the only scary books I read as a kid were Clive Barker books. Oh, my God. Those, those are, are ruthless. Terrifying. They are. My friend Lou lent me a. Hi, Lou. <laughs> Shout out, Lou. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. Um, he lent me a Clive Barker book and I was like, I think it was when I was pregnant and I was like, no, can't do this right now. I've read it before. I've read Clive Barker before, but I couldn't do it when I was pregnant. It was so yeah. scary. It's very visceral. It is. Stuff. Which is. Which I love to watch, but reading for some reason really just, yee. Scary sticks with you. I think I've talked about before reading The Shining and, or sorry, reading It as an adult. That was one that was just like, this is a coming of age story. Full stop. It's weird to think about children reading it. And the only people I know who have read it were children at the time they read it. And it was weird yeah. just thinking like, yeah, how are you processing this stuff? Um, I'd love to know what listeners think about the book versus the movie oh, of this. Because well, I don't really have a, I have no sense of it. Because we know Stephen King hates the movie, which seems 
fucking insane because it's not so far off from the book. It's, it's just pretty, great. <laughs> I can see how people. Yeah, I can see how Stephen King's. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how you would think that the movie didn't do the book justice because we all know that there was like that ABC version of the movie. Oh yeah, with the yeah. guy from Wings. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, very faithful. But it's not, it doesn't, it pales in comparison. Like, there's no comparison. Like, the book. Imagine uh, being the poor TV director who's like, okay, um, cool. going to make a faithful adaptation of yeah. the Stephen King novel for network television and make it better than a Stanley Kubrick movie. Right. Like, I remember watching it at the time when it came out and being so psyched about it because it was all the things from the book that on screen but the the thing is i think the book works as a book and this movie what he did with it is better cinematically you know Mm -hmm. like i think that the changes are actually great i really do think there's a a lot of big especially thematic differences in the book between the movie and the book yeah his alcoholism is really front and center in the book in a way that it isn't as much yeah and also the descent like Mm -hmm. (laughs) You start off the movie and Jack's crazy. (laughs) Like he's over the top from the get go. In the book, it's this, the whole tension is him Mm -hmm. gradually descending into madness. I know that that was. the hotel takes him over. Yeah. Yeah. That's like one of the big things Stephen King hated about the movie. It was like, oh, cool. Like, or he hated that Jack Nicholson was cast because he's like, because he had just done one, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And so he's coming off the heels of like playing this madman. So <laughs> there's just no room there, you know, like he's already playing it crazy. Even in, in even Jack Nicholson being normal is still, like you said, in the car ride. He's like, you saw it on TV. Like he's just. <laughs> yeah, he's our, he's an intense personality mm-hmm. no matter what. Is it okay to talk about a first parenting topic now? I think it, it is. Because I this really pokes right into one of those for me which is i mean it kind of starts later in the movie this is an episode where we really are trusting that you've seen this because i really wanted to talk about some certain themes and i think that that lack of descent into madness why it's really apparent is because he has this hair trigger from the get-go because he is looking at this winter in the mountains as a fresh start and as like a reset button as a stop teaching, start writing, get back to the thing that you wanted to do and follow your career and really have this time. It's going to be really easy to maintain the hotel, Mm -hmm. like do this full-time job and also write at the same time. And I think that there's this theme throughout it as illustrated by a clip I'm about to play, which I really related to now as a father. And I know I also have other dad friends who I think struggle with this, which is the times when you you expect things to be really, um, really great when sometimes they're difficult and sometimes they are more challenging than you intended, but you are um, possibly where you feel overwhelmed and it's hard to pin the source that's overwhelming you. What is the thing that's like taking over your mental space, your that mental bandwidth? And why are you also feeling as though like you need to kind of keep it up as almost a facade? And I feel like that's a thing that he struggles with. Maybe I'm just totally 
mapping my own stuff on here, but I do think that, so this is a, this is a clip. It's a longer, so about a minute and a half. Hang tight. Dad? Yes? Do you feel bad? Why don't you go to sleep? I can't. I got too much to do. Dad? Yeah. Do you like this hotel? Josh, I thought you were going to play a clip from The Shining, not from our last family vacation. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought that string quartet. I couldn't help it. I'd already paid for them. They were coming. This is like halfway through the movie, and I do feel like there is a descent, so I will like take some issue with that. But I there, do... No, there's a descent, but you see what I'm saying. Oh, He's... absolutely. <laughs> All right. I, no, I didn't. I wasn't taking issue with you saying. I do think that I understand that as like a... Um, it's not as... Stark. Yeah, and he does start off like... And, 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 interest of time you have to do it you know but mm-hmm. there's no it maybe has more to do with stanley kubrick's pacing mm-hmm. the movie is so the pacing is amazing it's about two and a half hours long and with good reason because it allows for long scenes like that to give that's what like gives it its guts and like gives the performances any weight is because yeah. um and we're like the music is very front and center and throughout this movie, it's incredible. It, it works is. so well. It does work so well. And I feel like listeners might think... We have a double standard? Yeah. But you know what? We don't. <laughs> Sit the fuck down. <laughs> we don't care. No, uh, we talk do. Talk to Jerry Goldsmith if yeah, you want exactly. somebody to talk to. Let Jerry Goldsmith score The Shining. See how that works. He probably did the ABC one, that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, I love that. That scene is this is Danny and of course Jack. Well, they're both in real life named Jack and Danny. Where of course Dan- Danny's asking if he feels bad, meaning like, do you feel a murderous rage inside you? <laughs> right. And when Jack is saying I have too much to do, he's not talking about writing. He's talking about murdering his family. It is still really uh, it's a it's a true a masterstroke of just really being able to to completely blend those two worlds very yeah. seamlessly. And I think created a very real moment in a very surreal and intense situation. Because again, you're halfway through the movie. There's already so much happening and so much at stake and so much tension that to have that happen is really, I found very powerful. The pressures of work and career and family life balance, which are often very difficult, which is what this is. Even to create a podcast together, it really is about like finding the time and budgeting it. And to see a little behind the curtain, we even, we were going to record this last night, but Carol wisely pointed out, like, we don't need to beat ourselves up to get this thing out the door. We can take our time to make these things and we can make sure that we keep them fun because there is, 
no outside pressure to actually do this. This is really for us and for you, our listeners. And we know you'd rather have something that's like interesting rather than something that is, that feels like it was squeezed out just to like meet an arbitrary deadline. Right. And it helps that it's Halloween week and we can release this on Halloween and get away with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it also is the reason why we couldn't record it this weekend because, oh my God, this weekend was insane. Oh, we had an insane weekend. (laughs) As I mean, most w- of you know, this probably was for you as well, Halloween. You can't have Halloween parties after Halloween. It's just not done. The costumes are ruined. We're over it. Even the candy is already on sale. It's not even Halloween. Okay. <laughs> the candy the has Christmas, been on sale Christmas is out. We all do- week. <laughs> Trying to even decorate for our Halloween party that we had. I went to Michael's. It's freaking Christmas in Michael's. World market, all Christmas. Come to be on. Fair, it may be Christmas in Michael's year round. I cannot speak. For it's it. not. Ugh. Um, no, it was an insane weekend. Do you like, want to talk us through it a little bit? Friday night, pumpkin extravaganza at the gardens, lit up pumpkins. I'll show Live you. pumpkin carving. I'll show you one on the Instagram feed tomorrow. The um, in memoriam section of the walk, including. Stan Lee, Luke Perry, Luke Perry, Sid Haig. Uh, That's it. It was a short walk. It was a short walk. Uh, Saturday, it was birthday parties back to back. Then we had a Halloween party. Simultaneous birthday parties. We yes. split up to hit two birthday parties at once. You're right. Child birthday parties. Seems like you want to walk through this weekend, Josh. Oh, I'm happy to walk through with you holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> then we had a Halloween party at our house, which is always just a lot, you know, even though it was actually pretty chill for our level of involvement with friends and stuff. Instead of it being like 70 people, it was only 35, honestly. Right. Yes, exactly. We did we did make the proactive choice to not invite school chums because they're going to have a school thing yeah. there, which it was just about limiting numbers. We also didn't like make it a potluck or something else like that. Just ordered pizza. We also bought our Halloween costumes largely on the internet. That's a change from the way we used to do Halloween. Yes, All yes. those things to try to like make it a little bit more manageable, which yes. success, it worked. It felt, it actually felt like... Did a, you say actually like October? Ox- it octoberly felt like <laughs> a very... Like a relaxed thing. Yeah, well, I so called it... To to people. Like I was saying it to somebody at school and it was like it's a family party you know these these are this is our family totally yeah our real family mm, we've forgotten about you (laughs) (laughs) no but it's our family out in la so we did that and then i went to my canasta group that night yeah fresh group had way too many gimlets then the next morning, bright and early, went to J.C. Penney's for the portrait studio let's talk about those portraits okay the real tragedy here (laughs) (laughs) is that we got not just like the new guy but like literally his first session ever taking photographs jessica jones being canceled yeah he looked just like that guy oh the friend the neighbor from jessica jones doesn't matter i don't know why i was so annoyed with that character but it did not help this photographer that he looked like him poor guy Uh, i yeah so then right after that ladies and gentlemen we went to go see the one and only Raffi in concert at the Alex Theater in Glendale. Jewel City. Oh my God. Josh and I both wept. Oh, we did. <laughs> I teared up honestly about nine times and openly cried twice. 
60 seconds into it. I, I, it yeah. got, <laughs> he started, he opened with the more we get together. It was a joyous show. I highly, I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you go, and we almost didn't go as a pricey ticket and everyone needed a seat. And it was a seated theater. Our kids had never really been to a concert. Yeah. And it was right in the middle of nap time. Yeah, the red Are zone. you serious, Rafi? 1 p.m.? Are you insane? Yes. He likes an Insanely early lunch. <laughs> amazing at your job. He is. Just turned 70. Totally engaging performer. Sounds great. Lovely banter. He does all the hits. He is very self-aware and an mm-hmm. activist and all around good dude. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you I mean, if you listen to any newer Rafi, you'll understand. It's largely just like... <laughs> It's social justice. Yeah, he he has a song I believe that is called Social Justice now. But no, he was he was tremendous. It really was such a good show. It's an hour. You know, he also knows that his audience is children. Yeah. And it then, was great. Yeah, we basically just came home and collapsed. Uh-huh. It was just the most exhausting weekend ever. But full of good stuff. And it's not always easy to remember in the moment. I was likening it to our wedding weekend for that kind of thing where you're like <laughs> you know there's these great things happening or about to happen but that if you like don't stop to just be like sweet everybody's here we're gonna have this rehearsal dinner or whatever yeah it's all chill it's yeah. it can be easy to get overwhelmed not like that this weekend i was looking at it's equal to my wedding <laughs> but close <laughs> so close i feel like suffered the fallout from this weekend today, mm-hmm. picking up from school, where I had the most absolutely torturous pickup of all time. Woo, just full on. It wasn't even just one tantrum. It was like a progressive mounting, like in episodes. But oh my God, it involved at one point having to carry both children, you know? It and we, the worst. we got it, got to the car. He started melting down about having to go to the bathroom and I thought he really needed to go but he refused to go back inside and so I had to take him back inside and I basically had to walk by every single parent picking up their child back and forth and luckily we have this amazing community at our preschool and I know everyone and I didn't feel judged I was just like making a, what What can you do face? Exactly. You know, and they all know and it's fine. They're probably <laughs> glad to see it, right? Because I feel like Wu is a pretty understated dude. Yeah, they're probably, because he's, he's... He's very like chill. Wu has a very chill demeanor at school. Yeah, yeah. They're like, ha, he's a normal kid. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. I mean, maybe that's giving ourselves a little too much credit, but... I mean, I just don't think he really, like, lets out like that. No, because he does... He's, like, a little bit more of a wallflower and stuff when it comes to... Especially, like, interacting with parents and stuff, I think. Let's get back to the Overlook Hotel. We're just doing things in a little different order. This is called jazz, people, you know? Here's something I want to talk about with The Shining. In the beginning of the movie, when they get to the hotel... Halloran is giving them a tour. He's giving uh, Wendy and Danny a tour of all the the motherly things of the hotel, the kitchen and the food closets. And, you know, he like just yeah, takes yeah, he's them He's just through. doing the, he's responsible for some reason for giving them the entire tour of the hotel. Yeah. Like Jack is off with the manager getting a show of the boiler room, which eventually Wendy has to take care of anyway. <laughs> Wendy has <laughs> <sighs> in and, that uh, bitchin' corduroy overall skirt. 
Oh my golly. She has such great outfits in this movie. I love the jacket that she's wearing when she goes oh, yeah. to talk on the radio. Oh my God, I want that it's jacket. The best. Yeah, like Southwestern well, yeah. trench coat. It really plays into like all the theories about this movie being all being about like Native American. Do you know about that? I don't know about that. It's in that documentary of oh, insane in theories. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a great documentary because oh, I wish you, I could rewatch that before. This. I know you think that you're going to like learn these cool theories about the movie, but really it's just about these people with the theories. Like the, the documentary is just so fascinating to watch these right. crazy people talking about this movie and all of the theories are total bunk. But. It's just like people with, who used to have WordPress account. They did all the writing. They watched it enough times. They got in the documentary. Although there was one theory, and I don't know if it was in that movie or if it was just a blog that I read. I don't know if you've ever heard of this theory, but how Danny's the villain. Was that Ooh, one? I think so. I mean, I've heard that before too. That was a really- Can we talk through that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Do you recall what it is? Because I, I just remember the idea, but like, what is that? Yeah, so like basically Danny orchestrates- the entire thing. I wish I had it pulled up. It's very intense, though. <laughs> sure. You know, it really walks you through the whole movie, but basically, like, he's getting revenge against his abusive father. So, like, he, he's kind of home aloneing his own dad. Yeah. And he, because I think there are many theories that are like, you know, Jack has the shining too. Right. Yeah. 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 There. Yeah. yeah. And he just doesn't know it. Yeah. So like he's using that against him and he like lures Haller in there and he's always like protecting his mother, like Norman Bates style and kind of like this masquerade for her, even at the end when she sees those skeletons, like he's projecting that onto her so that she knows like they can't go back into the hotel. Oh. So it's a it's a very fun theory. It's totally wrong, but it's right. really I love that when people are like, I'm just gonna see if this works, what I'm putting on this movie. And it totally does. Like, I mean, there's a few things that I thought were a little off base when I was reading through it. Like mm-hmm. when he's sitting down with when Danny is sitting down with Halloran and eating ice cream, they they talk about in this theory how like Danny is like kind of baiting him with the two room 237 thing and it's like he didn't eat a drop of that ice cream and it's like he ate all the ice cream it was after super the, fast yeah, yeah it's he already ate all, it's not. you know and but the thing that i wanted to bring up is actually about that scene how because a kid that age sorry would not would have already eaten all the ice cream before they're talking right. at all and there's no ice cream in the bowl meaning he ate it but so it's on this tour that halloran asked to go give danny some ice cream Mm-hmm. Right. And it comes up again and again in the movie, but it's a serious like, where are the parents? Oh, my God. Yes. Behind that, where are the parents is just boomer parents versus millennial parents where like I am watching that scene and I'm thinking of my own child who really could be Danny next year for Halloween. He's very similar. <laughs> to. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, so many similarities. And I'm like, I would never in 1000 years let my kid go eat ice cream alone with this old man. No. No friggin' way. And like a different floor of the hotel yeah. alone as everyone else is leaving and packing up and there's walk-in freezers and shit all about. Yep. Get out of here. Wendy's like, yeah, sure. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. No one no one bats an eye about that. Oh, no, no. It's just like, get out of here. And then mm-hmm. throughout the movie, and I know, like, they're alone in this hotel, or so they think. Mm-hmm. I still wouldn't let this child, I mean, he's 
five years old. I wouldn't let him play. I would let him like do the the tricycle like where I could see him. The yes. hotel's very open. You could he could still go very far and you could still see him. But I wouldn't let him just like go on the second floor by himself. Like yeah, stay on the same floor, stay that, in the same wing of the hotel. Right, and I see how that is also bananas of me as a millennial parent. Like I can't let this kid just go explore, you know. But I wouldn't. Because what if he hurt himself and I didn't hear him? Right. You'd have to check every room of a hotel. No fucking way. It just is very like... Well, they're all locked. Except they weren't. Except, well, a ghost unlocked that one. Or if you're into that conspiracy theory, Danny Danny unlocked unlocked it. (laughs) Typical Danny. That theory is very silly, really. You see so much through his eyes in the movie when he's just alone. It's the idea that he's still just like a kid and so he is still afraid of stuff. You, because he does he sees he but the, like the idea is that he summons those the twins or but actually they're is, not twins why is everybody calling them twins right, they're, they're sisters not twins. they're like eight and ten or something Crazy. it's very clearly but everybody calls them the twins. our friends adult friends dressed up as them one year for halloween and it was so good and that actually was very accurate because one of them is about a foot taller than the other which is i mean more or less the case in the movie they don't mm-hmm. they don't even look like twins other than they're wearing the same outfits in the movie this is a movie that's also sidebar has like outlasted its pop culture references. I think it's bigger than its pop culture references, which would be like the twins and come and play with us forever and ever. And here's Johnny, which we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, regarding giving Danny free reign of the hotel and the grounds, it's one thing to go ride your, your big wheel. And it is a, it's another entirely to like, yeah, go hit the hedge maze maze or go play in like the gigantic commercial kitchen. And certainly, yeah, to be alone with an adult. That's just like a full stop. No, no. Yeah. Or just constantly, and I mean constantly, smoking around your child. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very big difference, obviously, between boomer parents and millennial parents. It was pretty shocking because the very first scene with Wendy, they're just sitting at the lunch table and she's just smoking and he's eating and you're like... That is so gross. (laughs) And there's a couple other scenes in the movie where he's eating or watching cartoons and she's smoking two feet from his face. Mm -hmm. And this was, I cannot believe this movie is in 1980, which really does mean, well, we wouldn't have been Danny's age, but it's not, it is. It's how we grew up. It's how we grew up, which is crazy Mm -hmm. to think about. We've obviously talked about smoking in movies of this age, but this was, this does feel egregious in a way that some of the other ones don't, where they're smoking in the house, but the proximity given the scale of the space that they occupy i mean it does i think kind of speak to wendy's relationship with danny and how she does feel that's just through our lens i'm sorry it just was the style of the times i really don't think it means anything well i just mean that because she's always up on him and yes she's also a smoker but like she's oh that she's so close to him when she is when she's in the same room as him she's attached to him Mm mm-hmm but then that only lasts as long as it lasts, and then she's off on her own. Should we talk about some scary good stuff before we move on? Yeah, we're talking about that big wheel, so let's do it. Uh, we like scary good stuff, and I hope you do too. We couldn't help but think that when watching those incredible scenes of Danny riding his big wheel on the wooden floor and on the carpet and on the wooden floor and on the carpet, and to watch a little documentary that was talking about how that wasn't 80 yard. That was a complete happy accident. Happy accident. That was not by design. 
that was just what happened when he rode and they were low tracking those shots and getting the natural audio of it. Just fucking great. It alone is a tension builder. It might as well be a drum roll or something else. It might as well be oh, like yeah. the opening of 2001. It's very fucking cool. Well, when I watched it for the first time in the theater, I just remember noticing Ooh. that and and it was so terrifying. It was very powerful. And hey, that's the magic of making movies, you know? How things change, what becomes important, the gems you find along the way. I yes. think that's the coolest thing about like whenever you are watching a behind the scenes or making of kind of thing where that wasn't part of it until this, you know, this happened and this accident and then this person was recast and here you go. Here's this classic movie. I mean, it's really amazing. So while we were watching that, we couldn't help but talk about our, and because as we mentioned, the similarities between Danny and Wu, we couldn't help but think about what would Wu be doing in this hotel if it were just the three of us. And he would totally be ripping around those hallways on his scooter loves his scooter and boo cannot wait to get on that scooter yeah we got the scooter for woo when he turned two and we thought oh my gosh he's so little how can he even ride that scooter it's like a, that little razor scooter and he has his big helmet on but then we put boo on it head. yeah he does have a giant head. then we put boo on it who is uh too much shy of two and he's just zipping around. Yeah. Like he is, he gets it. He's just raring to go. That's right. So the one we're talking about is specifically the micro mini deluxe three-wheeled scooter. It's I think it's good for up to like 75 pounds or something like that. So like they can ride it for a while. Make sure you get the one with the adjustable handlebars. And it's killer. It has, it has two big front wheels, like big polyurethane, like kind of rollerblade style wheels. And it's very sturdy. And they lean to turn and everything else, but it really helps with balance. And it seems pretty intuitive, as we can attest to with two kids. And it comes in all these awesome colors, but they look great. And I would love to take Wu to an abandoned hotel and let him ride around hallways as long as he wanted, but probably would stay in eyesight. Because I'll tell you what I do. Hot parental tip. Use it as an excuse. Get a skateboard. It's really fun because he's too fast now to walk after. You'd either have to run down the block, even if you give him a head start. That's what I do. You got to just sprint after him periodically. A better move is get a fun skateboard, get some big wheels to manage cracks in the sidewalk and pavement, and cruise right along. It's really fun. And I think it inspires them to keep scooting. They'll want to go for longer if you're doing it with them. And so I think it's a really mm. fun thing. But yeah, check out that micro mini. It's a solid one. Don't get ones with two wheels in the back or ones where where you turn the handlebars to turn the wheels. Like if it's on mm -hmm. sort of that center bar, those are really tippy and they're not nearly as intuitive to ride. Yeah, you want that lean to steer. That's right. The micro maxi is for ages five to 12. Apparently. Ooh. No 12 year old of mine's riding a scooter. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so I think that you would call Jack the ultimate bad dad. You'd have to. He is because he he's a he's a bad dad minus that one scene that I already played. That's really the only moment of tenderness between the two of them in the film that where yeah. you really where he says he loves them. Even the move of getting this job is a selfish one in and of itself. Again, very style of the times. It's come up in Pet Cemetery. It's come up in a bunch of these movies about like the dad goes out and buys a house without discussing it. It's where it just that would never 
happen in our marriage anyway. You like where you would never have that exchange. Uh, you would never have the lack of that exchange in a big decision like this. We would never be taking a seasonal job and taking our kids to some isolated place without talking about it first, without you seeing the place first, without like, I don't even know how you pack for three or four months. Layers. Wendy. (laughs) Hello. Oh yeah. Queen of layers. You got the turtleneck. You got the corduroy overall dress. You got the flannel jacket. You got the robe. I'm telling you, she's bundled. It's true. Yeah, you, even when she runs out in the snow, you're like, you're wearing a robe and a turtleneck. You're probably pretty warm. Yeah, you're fine. Also, it was like 90 degrees in the maze, apparently. Yeah, that's a wild was, factoid. Because of all the crushed styrofoam and salt and lights. You wanted to talk about isolation in Absolutely. this movie. Which is what I feel like you were touching on it just then. So I feel like this would be a good time to talk about it. Sure. How just, yeah, isolation is obviously a giant part of this movie. And... Go ahead. Oh, I mean, it's it's self-imposed isolation, which I think is even stranger. I There's a really great article that was in the New York Times. I don't know. I think it was about three years ago. Yes, 2016. I have it pulled up. It's called The Challenges of Male Friendships. And it's about how as men age and like their careers take center stage, one of the first things to go are close male friendships where women tend to maintain them. And there's some studies backing it up. But what becomes really difficult is as they age and especially as they retire, trying to backpedal and do the work of then regaining friendships as then an old man and how how difficult that is. And like how it's a kind of like a one of those unsung challenges of our time. But so to see a movie like this where it's so stark and I do think that stuff becomes forefront in my mind when we have less time you know to spend with our friends less of that quality time even something like a party I did finally say at the Halloween party when I was about to say bye to someone and saying like I wish we had more time to talk I stopped myself and I said it's always like this that we just get what we get it was awesome to see you and Mm -hmm. hopefully I'll see you again soon because it's it's really difficult to get the quality time and so the idea of taking this job and going to the remote place being disconnected from not only your social circles, but your, well, yeah, your, all of your social circles of being disconnected from any work colleagues. He was a teacher having Danny miss three months of school and playtime uh, at like such a crucial age and same thing with Wendy. And then because he is uh, the number one bad dad, he uh, physically abused his son. He's phys- he's verbally abusive to his wife. He had a drinking problem. He has like a hair trigger temper, possibly related, possibly independent of that. None of it is set up for anything other than tragedy. And because it's a triangle of the three of them, no one has anyone they can lean on to get the help that they need. And they are completely alone, Mm -hmm. each of the three of them. And I think that's why Scatman Crothers as Halloran is such a shining light in this movie because he's really, he's so, I'm so happy about that. (laughs) Um, he he gets he gets it all and he he sees it all and how and i think is he's a great reminder of just like how even just a simple connection none of them know him they don't owe each other anything but like he sees what's happening as we often do in social situations as we do when we're watching this movie and and gets it and and like yeah he's so immediately sweet and relatable at that yeah. point you know uh i see what you're saying about the male friendships and everything it's totally true 
And, you know, at parties, your time is divided almost unbelievably so. But as the kids get older, it's a little easier to kind of like let them play. And uh, we had a day the other week where our school was closed. So some of our good friends have their kids go to our same school. So like I met up with like a couple of the dads that day and one of them brought their child over and his child just played with Wu and Boo and we just talked. And it was the first time that that had happened (laughs) ever. And it was fantastic. It was amazing. I mean, like letting them play in the other room. They were just playing. Yeah. Like we were talking, they were playing and Boo is still little, so he would, you know, I I would, I wasn't actually checking on him. He would just come and check in with me and like, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's younger than, you know, the two other kids playing. So, but it was incredible just to like catch up with my friend and especially as someone who had a lot, I mean, had, sad, but I have a lot of male friends too. Like you were all part of the same circle and I definitely miss my my dad friends, you know, Uh like I miss talking to them because I often get the room divides into men and women a lot of the times. And you, Oh yeah. We have divided text chains. If someone starts Mm -hmm. a book club, it's always like the same. It's always like men and women. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those parties will get a little bit easier and like gatherings like that. But in general, yes, it's just so, it's so difficult. If you're already someone prone to isolation, like if you just like to stay in and kind of, if you're not wanting to go out and have a night even once a month, then you're probably not going to have any friends when you have kids. Yeah. Like that's it. And I think that for the boomer generation, it was the norm. I mean, my parents had friends as they moved um, because before I was born, there were, you know, it was like an army family. So they move all the time and, you know, they had friends where they were stationed, but then that was kind of it. Like you, they kept in touch, write letters, but it wasn't like how we are with our friends where we all live generally in the same area and we can go out for a drink if we want to. Right. You know, it's there if we, and, and just, even if you're not taking advantage of it all the time, having it there is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking with them about the fact that it's right there or like trying mm-hmm. to plan something ahead of time or whatever. Yeah, and but, even like, yeah, having the text chains and stuff just to feel supported because that's how these things happen. It's not just a snowed-in hotel. It's that family was already snowed in. Yes. Ooh, yep, yeah, that, that's really it. They were just, they moved locations. They just went to the heart of it. Yeah, so phone a friend, CB radio a friend. <laughs> that's like you this movie goddamn it nails that stuff too anytime they talk to the outside world it feels right you know it Mm -hmm. feels good you're like oh you know it's just a lifeline it is just oh there's the forest service right there's halloran here comes even like manager whatever we're just having a fun little we're just having a fun chat yeah everything else is uh is brutal so yeah try to keep your buds close make a friend maybe second guess this uh opportunity to get your writing done in a wintry retreat oh my gosh speaking of the writing yes i did relate to jack a little bit (laughs) (laughs) there's one scene let's just play that clip okay How's it going? Fine. 
Get a lot written today? Yes. Hey, weather forecast said it's going to snow tonight. <clears throat> What do you want me to do about it? Oh, come on, hon. Don't be so grouchy. I'm not being grouchy. I just want to finish my work. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you, and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me, and it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. We're gonna make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? <laughs> Oh my goodness, the life of a writer. <laughs> I, you know, well, I, apparently I, I was in my reading uh, about this movie just in the last few days. Jack Nicholson wrote that scene um, because, Whoa. yeah, it had basically like happened to him that he like blew up at his, as he called, beloved wife. God knows how he was actually treating her. Right. But yeah, so he he wrote that scene. And and I thought, you know, I I, I never felt that intensely about breaking concentration but what i really related to was when she asked maybe you'll let me read some then you know and yeah. you're like nope not gonna let you read anything right now you know like yeah, maybe never yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then even earlier oh, that shitty chipper attitude get out of yeah, here yeah <laughs> exactly how people yeah people who just think like it's the easiest thing and you're just writing and it's it's how nice for you you know and you're yeah. like i am extracting an organ of my of my soul right now and i'll tell you when i'm done you know <laughs> yeah because it's showing that she has like this great like golden retriever attitude in this scene about mm -hmm. all that stuff like i'll bring you sandwiches how you doing what's yeah. going on like, and and that response of yeah maybe you'll let me read something is so funny because as the person on the other side of it, me, when you're writing something, that is the instinct because it is also about showing that your your level of engagement or that you care, that you want mm -hmm. you want to be supportive right. is the word I'm looking for. But knowing that like the last thing on earth I want to do is like submit this to you to check out at your leisure or something. Right. It's uh, it's not what's happening. Yeah. There's this even a scene earlier on when they first get to the hotel And she's like, did you have any ideas today? And he's like, I had plenty of ideas. <laughs> They were all bad. And he said, she's like, well, you know, you'll just get into a habit, a daily habit of writing. And he's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so it's good. so good because they ha he has nothing but time. And yet when you are writing, it feels like I, I, I just got it and I need to do it. And 
even if you had days and days to do it, it would still feel like you were chasing something that was slipping through your fingers. Yes. So this really uh, dovetails right into how I, you know, feel about Wendy. Now in the book, she is much different, Mm -hmm. super like independent, not a doormat, (laughs) just really completely pretty much like night and day Mm -hmm. characters. And as we were watching a little, it's like whatever little making of, it's not the making of The Shining because that's the other one by Kubrick's daughter, but there was just this little like featurette. Yeah. Um, thing where the screenwriter Diane Johnson is talking about how she had written a different character as well. And then, you know, it really evolved with Shelley Duvall being cast and, mm-hmm. you know, Kubrick's relationship with her infamously treated her so badly on set to get this performance. Jack Nicholson did as well. But nonetheless, this is the character that we see. <laughs> and it, it's really hard to relate to her as a mom because I just know how I would react to the situation. I mean, Mm -hmm. you might say you'd never be in the situation because you would never be with someone like Jack and you would never be. It's so hard to say really though. It's so hard to say. Exactly. Let's just say you were in the situation or any situation of protecting myself, Mm -hmm. protecting my kids, protecting you. If we're, you know, situations were flipped. I believe in my soul that, I would be filled with such rage and such energetic rage uh-huh. that I would attack. You know, I would fly, I would just ride that adrenaline. I know I wouldn't be cowering in the corner with the knife. And thank God she cuts his hand, at least. Thank God she hits him with the baseball bat a little bit. Uh, yeah, I have a, a something to say about that specific scene, that she is actually in that moment doing the safest thing, which is someone was talking about this. Students are taught in active shooter drills. One of the safest places to be is right next to the door Mm -hmm. because usually Mm -hmm. shooters have tunnel vision when they come in. And so they will walk right past you, which would give you a chance to slip out the door. It's your best chance for survival. So even her standing next with her back against the wall, right by the door, even though she's screaming as he's hacking through the door and saying, here's Johnny. Is, yeah, yeah. That's it, the same okay. place to be. Bad Sorry. example. Bad example. Uh, maybe I would be there. Um, because, but I. That was the. This is the only time seeing that, seeing this movie that I thought about it in that way because it had that conversation with someone recently. It does play like she, and I'm sure at the time they probably did mean it as like, she's just terrified and frozen, right, and because, in this room. Though she, yeah. I mean, I think she does act appropriately even leading yeah, up to that. She does. She's, she's just cowed and abused she's abused and she has you know the way about her where she's sort of like stumbling along Mm -hmm. a lot with the knife in her hand and swinging the baseball bat before that yeah god i mean you're talking 70 80 90 takes to get oh my god to get these performances but it worked because you can't do it any other way really Mm -hmm. um like ad-libbing the here's johnny line doesn't just happen on take five you know Here's Johnny. (laughs) But anyway, besides Wendy being a little bit frustrating in this movie to watch, it really just made me think about what, like my own response to violence, you know? Yes. And I think about like, even when I'm like, if I'm afraid that somebody's in the house Mm -hmm. when I'm alone or alone with the kids, I 
never picture myself hiding. And I, yeah, that's I a good point. never yeah. picture myself. Well, I would hide. I feel like I, I devise a plan and usually it involves grabbing my phone because I feel like that's a very common mistake, but really <laughs> so fucked up. But like, I think about really being excited to let, let a lot of rage out. And I feel like it would freak the person out. Like I always think you have to like out crazy somebody mm. and I would go crazy. I think I would really uh, get to a hundred pretty fast with like getting that person out of my house or just like out crazy. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, in this, in her, Wendy's case, it would have had to happen. No, I'm not talking about Wendy. Years in before. The, yeah, this in is this situation. I'm just talking about my reaction mm-hmm. to like an intruder or somebody who's trying, definitely trying to harm me. Yeah. If someone's attacking me on the street or something. I like in this movie though, that it, it is clear that he is, he turns on her mm-hmm. and she is not imagining anything that it's very clear that he is, mm-hmm. he's abusive and he's a villain. And that gonna it, bash her brains in. Yeah, when he says that, and it's just like, oh, you've now threatened me. It, it does open up. It gives her license to kill. Like, there is that immediate, your life is in danger. Mm-hmm. He said that he wants to bash your brains in, and he's now he's, like, coming at you and taunting you. Yeah, I think because she is so, so kind of, like, sniveling in the rest of the movie, it's also hard to reckon with, like, that she does all the right things from that moment on. She does, she defends herself effectively, ultimately hits him, knocks him down the stairs. And then she also takes the extra step. And I love this. She locks him in the freezer. Yeah. It is only supernatural forces that get him out of that situation. Otherwise, like she, she did every, she does everything right each step of the way. And even she tries to leave. She tries to flee the scene, like to go get help, go find safety. And that's what makes this so stressful and so tense is because there aren't those don't go in the basement moments. They're just this like, no, you're doing all this right. But this place, and this is where I do think the book is better at being very clear that like this place is coming for you. Mm-hmm. You need to leave this place and and it's going to do everything yeah. to stop you. Oh, my hair has got goosebumps. I did. Mm. Uh, R.L. Stein, shout out. And there's even the line, she would like tries to go for help. There's like the Grady voiceover that's like, your wife appears to be stronger than we imagined, more resourceful. Mm-hmm. That's probably also a clip I could have pulled, but that's what he says. Mm-hmm. And it's good that, that that's in there. It doesn't quite absolve all of the onset abuse that Shelley Duvall <laughs> took, but at least like the acknowledgement of her strength in an incredibly difficult and entrenched situation to have the presence of mind to like do everything you can to get out of that is so yeah like, i mean intense. I, yeah the scene with the baseball bat i think you could really argue that it's just luck you know she's swinging right. at him he just doesn't catch it yeah and yeah. then her putting him in the freezer is very very smart and i'm not saying she's not resourceful she definitely does what she should do and gets danny out but it's more of her attitude the whole time oh, yeah. and of course, you know, she's with this abusive person. So, you know, I'm in no way relating to that, but it's more of like her attitude the whole time of like excusing it. And, you know, like even her just telling the psychologist in the very beginning about when Jack dislocated Danny's shoulder, Mm -hmm. she's like, well, he did it, you know? And, you know, she has this like smile, smile on her face and she's like, it happens, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 
I, I mean, I'm. And it's it's more like I feel like I would be enraged by most things yes. happen to her. <laughs> if it happened to me, I would respond with rage, and it might not serve me. But right. Oh, I mean, even that initial thing. Oh my God! If I came home drunk and hurt one of our children, how quickly hmm. you would destroy. It would be swift. <laughs> I I mean, actually, even it, what is also like remarkable about that thing, also a style of the times, but it's like downplay physical abuse of children, of course. But I, I don't even know if I want to talk about this. It does feel it's just such a remarkable amount of force that would have to be used in that situation that it was. Like, I know. I know. It's horrible it's, to think it's, about. It is. But they it's a really great device to yes. use because. We talk, we've talked about it on the show before about how you do have to, you know, I can't even tell you how many times Boo has been, has gone dead weight. I'm holding his hand mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he goes dead weight. I'm, I'm lifting him up. Yes. And then I just gently lay him down on whatever surface he's on because I don't want to be holding him up by his arm. Yes. And he's a heavy kid. And... I just don't know how much force it would take to You're dislocate a shoulder. And I'm too scared. Right. And and I, I feel like, um, didn't one of our friends' kids yes. have like a dislocated elbow a couple times? And it's just terrifying because, you know. And you, that was just from, I think it was kind of just like swinging kids around. Like when you do sort of like helicopter, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. swinging around circles. I think it was something like that. Like just that kind of normal parent-child play. But that was ultimately the thing that pulled an underdeveloped arm or elbow out of place and and there's so many times where honestly i've watched the so, kids yeah. fall on their heads directly on their yeah, heads yeah, yeah. and they're fine they get up and just run right into another wall but like, <laughs> they're doing great <laughs> <laughs> they are so resilient in some ways but then yeah it's just terrifying so before you know that jack is jack and she's recounting the story you're like well, i don't know maybe you know and you would feel awful if that happened to you mm-hmm and he does feel awful. Yeah, that's true. He is genuinely remorseful and is like trying to, again, like the book is able to dig into that a little more, but is, and also reconciling this or confronting the idea that it's somewhat irreversible. Like it's always in one of your heads. You don't know if your child's ever going to forget or forgive you for it, or if your partner is, or if you'll ever quite feel right about it. If you're not just every single time you're looking at your kid thinking about that, I can't imagine not there again, like just those, some of those moments where like, it's trying to be tender and that that still is like hanging over the scene. It's really great. Um, I mean, terrifying, but incredible. Can we talk about the here, the here's Johnny scene for a second? Of course. Yeah. So you mentioned that that was ad libs by Jack Nicholson. Here's Johnny. I find that, do you find that scary? What, like, what, what's your, what, how do you feel about the here, the here? Obviously it's like incredibly famous and. Yeah. I mean, it can't, it's not scary anymore. Yeah. I'm sure the first time I saw it, it was, I mean, the whole scene is horrifying. Yes. Uh, the first time, you, the first couple times you see it. Right. It plays a little bit silly now in a way. Maybe that's from repeated viewings. I'd love to know if anyone out there, if this was your first time watching it, if maybe you even watched it for the first time in preparation to listen to this episode, 
I always want to know that, but especially for this, because I found an article from The Guardian, as I mentioned earlier, The Guardian would come back. Here, the Here's Johnny scene is the scariest in movie history, that there was a study that determined that. It pulled 10,000 users, and they actually monitored heart rates across all these movies to find what are the scariest scenes. When was this study done? 2013. Okay. So... I mean, it includes all the opportunities for like the scariest things you can think of in most movies, like even more recent things. There's no, yeah, there's no, there's probably nothing that's on the level of the shining as far as like just people who have seen it. There's no, there's no like cultural reference that I could point to that everyone has seen since 2013. You know, oh, right. but like yeah, your yeah, like parents have then. probably seen The Shining. Totally true. Yeah. Well, I mean, this whole thing was that like when he, when that exact moment happens, like when he finally cuts through the door with the axe, it made people's pulses jump by 28.2%. Wow. And the next closest thing was a nightmare on Elm Street when Nancy brings Freddy Krueger from her dream into the real world. That was a 26% jump. But like, <laughs> wow. Do you want to guess what the most recent movie is that's on the list of, let's see, top two, four, six, eight, ten. Uh, yeah, the top ten scariest. What's the most recent movie? Do you have an idea? Since 2013 we're talking about. That's right. The Ring? The Ring is on there, 1998. That is not the most recent. 19, wait, what? The Ring came out in 1998? Yeah. What? That's crazy. I think this is, well, maybe it's specifically a Ringu. I don't know if the Michelle. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I think that came out much later. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Tell me. Insidious in 2010. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, good golly. Anyway. That's People all. freaking love that movie. Jason Blum, kudos to you. You really did it. And keeps doing it. The Shining, The Exorcist, Nightmare on Elm Street, Ringu, Alien, Silence of the Lambs, Poltergeist, Insidious, Halloween 1978, Saw. Never saw Saw. <laughs> well, if you do ever see Saw. Did you saw? saw? Did you see Saw? I did. I actually watched that movie alone one time just to see what all the fuss was about. Yeah. What'd you think? I didn't care about it. <laughs> Just sat there unfeeling. Kind of. Yeah. That was really it. I also don't think, I don't like to watch scary movies alone in the same way I don't like to watch comedies alone. I think there are things best experienced in some kind of communal environment. At least with one other other person. Definitely. Unless you're watching a comedy alone, like a a stand-up special, that's kind of nice. Alone. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's pleasant. You can have some good chuckles. Yeah. Some good direct chuckles. Yeah, because then you kind of feel like you're with the audience a little bit. Oh, I wonder mm-hmm. if that is what makes the difference. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, That's what you guys come here for. Hot takes. Yeah, hot takes. All right. Um, All shall right. we? Let's, you know what? Let's just rate this movie. Ooh, I'd like to. Carol. Yes. How many uh, conspicuously placed cans of Calumet baking soda? No way. Do you give this movie? Did you? How did you know? That's what. That's what I was going to say. <gasps> I have it written down on the top of my favorite. <gasps> no, you don't. I do. I can't believe you just said that. Conspicuously I, placed I, Calumet baking soda cans. Wow. Cue the love music. You are my number one guy. <laughs> That'll do. 
All right. Well, if the answer is between one and five, so you know that theory, that's part that's got to be in room 237. Yeah. It's like between, like the, there's one behind Halloran and there's like five behind Jack. So oh, you know, right. whatever. Um, it's between one and five. It's between one and five. That's right. It's uh, always my plan. I feel like we are so, we're either just so, so generous or so stingy. Like we usually just do like, Mm-hmm. Tippity top or bottom of the barrel. Stuff. That's right. But th- it really is a, such a brilliant movie, and not just the movie itself, but like the making of it. Knowing for better or worse what went into it, it's so fun. It's mm-hmm. such a fun movie um, that I just got to give it those five Native American head Calumet baking soda cans. Yeah, it's a fiver. Absolutely, Native American, deduct- right? Why don't you give me that look? Is it? That's right. Indigenous folks. <laughs> right. I don't think the Calumet people gave a shit. That's for sure. <laughs> what about you? Absolutely five. Yeah. Why, it's the best. It is the best. This and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Are, someone asked me the other day, what are your favorite? But you That's, already said that Poltergeist was one of your favorites. I did. I even said that on a podcast. And I even afterwards was kicking myself for not saying The Shining. They asked me what I, what I was most excited to do on this show. And really the answer is this movie. Because... <sighs> It's all downhill from here. It is. You better believe it. Unless it's something we haven't seen. That is now nine episodes in. What I am most excited about is for more movies we haven't seen. But this is because I also think this is a sort of a trap for it's a trap film heads to be uh, to be like you didn't talk about this thing. Well, actually, I wanted to open that up to listeners. Mm -hmm. If you think that there's something that we really glossed over here or that you want to discuss parenting wise because it's such a rich movie like we could talk forever about it write in call us set cb radio call numbers are kmxd (laughs) oh solid (laughs) but yeah we want to hear from you like please tell us what we missed tell us what you're thinking about tell us your feelings about looney tunes cartoons for kids whatever it is yeah i love how we've been you you i feel like you collected some looney tunes on blu-ray just to like have it for the kids and now it's like the most horrifying thing ever to think about yeah like a kid watching bugs bunny and it's all like sexist and racist yeah there's some there's some tough ones and like of course those archive collections they even have like a little warning that comes up on the screen it's like "Eh, we realize this hasn't aged well oh my god i mean i'm watching some parks and rec Right now, that has not aged well as far as the Me Too movement goes. Gotta mm-hmm. say, season two is yee. just dumb, dumb stuff. Not right. like trigger warning, but you know. Yeah, I would love, I actually would love to hear. I, I'm like, yeah, I'm less interested in the film stuff you want to talk about in this, but definitely parenting things are, uh, and oh, yeah, that's what to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to hear what your thoughts about The, the Shining are. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking rules get out of town. And. <laughs> I mean, the design, everything about it, top to bottom, it's so good. But if you do get an opportunity to see it on a big screen, it's a, it's essential. And Danny is perfect. Speaking of Danny. <gasps> it's Mummy and Daddy's Totally Awesome. Where are they now? Okay, Danny, as we said, is also named Danny in real life, Danny Lloyd. The shortest where are they now ever, he did nothing after this. Holy cow. Yeah, he was in like an episode of television I don't think it's even Will G. Gordon Liddy. Okay. It was a movie he was in um, in 1982, but that's literally it. He said that he tried once and was like, nah, I'm done. Damn. So just two years later and he was like, I'm out. And it's worth, it's worth Googling him because he looks like 
just the most normal, mediocre guy. I don't want to say mediocre, Danny. I'm sorry. You're not mediocre. You're wonderful. But he just looks like such a normal person right. with like a receding hairline and just like... It's, oh, not, it's oh. not like when you saw grown-up Elliot from E.T. Or grown-up like, kid from Christmas Story where you're like, you literally just look exactly the yes, same. Yes, exactly. He just is like, I don't know. I just like, I'm a teacher or whatever he is. I don't know. Doesn't say. He just... That's actually, crazy. Also great style. Love all the homemade sweaters. Love that Apollo sweater. Love Mickey Mouse kicking a football. Love the crazy plaid collars sticking out of all of them. Oh, so good. And the and the costume designer was like, I just wanted to make it the most unassuming, just childlike things you could imagine. Nothing creepy about it, which right. made it so creepy. Exactly. Um, do you remember when our friend was Danny for Halloween? I do. That was so good. We he made had that, that Apollo sweater. Yeah. Oh, man. We love Halloween, you guys. We hope you love Halloween. We hope you're having a great Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Eat some candy. Share us some family pics of your costumes and everything else. We shall do the same. We shall. Eat some candy, but not too much candy. Just enough. And don't be a creep. Get in touch. Email mummyxdeddy at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at mummyxdeddy. We're on Instagram at mummyxdiddypod. You can, of course, leave us a voicemail at 818-839-1991. If you like what you hear, please, please, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and slash or slash and tell a friend. Our theme music is by Kyle Andrews. Our logo was designed by Daryl Weinberg. Maggie Spaulding is a bowl of chocolate ice cream with a new friend. Bye. As far as my wife is concerned, uh, I'm sure she'll be absolutely fascinated when I tell her about it. She's a uh, confirmed ghost story and horror film addict. <laughs> <laughs>